The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. It's time for this week's Know Your Foe episode, and we have a great guest for you. We have Justin Dunk, host of the Believe in the Jaguars program. Uh, he is Justin at Justin Dunk. Sorry, not correct. At JDunk12 on Twitter slash X. Uh, and he covers the Jaguars regularly. Justin, thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to be on with you, Ken. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, a pleasure. I enjoy doing your pod and I uh, hope folks get a chance to go out and look at that. Uh, I'll try and post that uh, link or we'll we'll hit ourselves up with uh, a Twitter uh, um, opportunity to retweet there and, and get a chance to listen to that if you like. Uh, but really appreciate having you on, Justin. Anyway, the the, uh, the first thing I want to talk about, I guess, is just jump right in with Justin Lawrence in terms of what his situation is with the injury we all saw uh, uh, now a week ago, I guess. Trevor Lawrence really seemed to be close to 100% in the game against the Cleveland Browns. There was a lot of talk about that and focus, obviously, because it was a Monday night game against the Bengals, a right high ankle sprain. He suffered. He had a boot on for a little bit, showed up to his Wednesday media availability with no boot on, though. Had a compression sock on to kind of keep that swelling down and really looked fine. You know, I thought especially when he came out on Wednesday without a walking boot that there was a pretty good percentage chance that he was going to play against Cleveland. And I think from a physical health standpoint, he was as good as he's been potentially all season long. It didn't seem to affect him in the pocket, outside of the pocket. And he has a reputation for playing through some of these injuries, notably earlier in the season against New Orleans on a short week on Thursday night football, had an issue with his left knee. They braced it up. He went and actually had a career single game best rushing performance at the Superdome in a win the first time the Jags had won there. So he looked just fine to me from a physical health standpoint. The way he actually played, though, could be a lot better. All right. So you mentioned in terms of didn't seem to be impacted by the injury. Did he leave the pocket as a runner uh, at all in this game? Because that is something that I think of Trevor Lawrence is providing is a little bit of danger as a mo mobile quarterback. 
He definitely is athletic, even for his size. And, you know, he does it at times when it's kind of required, but he is a pass-first quarterback. He's going to keep his eyes down the field. But when he needs to, as he did against Cleveland, he will leave the pocket and he'll fight for extra yards if it's a critical situation, third down or late in the ball game. Tries not to take some of those shots, I think, that you don't need to in some of those situations. But he can leave the pocket as a runner. He looked fine doing that, even with this right high ankle or ankle issue that he's dealing with right now. And he looked fine even after he was dealing with that left knee issue that I mentioned early in the season. So he can be a guy that can hurt you if you're going to play cover zero and turn your back to him and get away from pressure. Okay. So three interceptions in the last, this last game, can you break those down for us a little bit in terms of how they, how they played out? Yeah. The first one, you know, Doug Peterson talked about this, that it was just an overthrow deep down the middle. You know, I don't really ever think that that football should have been thrown, but he was putting it out there to Zay Jones and felt like there was an opportunity for him to go and make a play. And Jones has made some of those plays this season, although he's been a little bit inconsistent because he himself has been dealing with a knee issue. Really, the second one is the one that hurt the most. In the red zone, Lawrence and Calvin Ridley were just not on the same page with what they were seeing from the defense. Ridley kind of zagged when Lawrence thought he was going to stop, essentially. He continued his route. You could see Lawrence be a little bit upset about it. Peterson talked about it, that they just need to be on the same page with those kinds of interceptions. And then the other one was late in the ballgame, kind of desperation. But really, that second one hurt a lot. And the Jags offense as a whole struggled against the Browns defense that is up there at the top, if not near the top, in a bunch of key statistical categories in the NFL. And they scored you know, a couple of their touchdowns off of turnovers. That was really the key for this Jags offense. So they're going to have to be much better this week against a Ravens defense that is arguably just a little bit more stingy than Cleveland. I'm sorry. Go, go back to that for a second. The, the, the Browns scored off turnovers or the Jags scored off turnovers? The Jags scored off the Browns turnovers. Wow. Okay. I did, did not realize that. Okay. So we see three interceptions you think maybe, but, uh, but all right. Uh, Let's uh, let's go through the offensive line, and I know the Jags have had some injury problems, but take us through that in terms of who's playing each position and and who likely will come Sunday night. Well, yeah, I mean the right side and center spots have been pretty steady for the most part in the season. Luke Fortner's at center, Brandon Sheriff's at right guard, and Anton Harrison, the rookie out of Oklahoma, is at right tackle. He's come along, I would say, somewhat nicely. He's gone against some of these upper echelon pass rushers and learned very quickly, but. The left side is where Jacksonville has had some injury issues and been forced to shuffle there. Cam Robinson started the season by serving a four-game performance-enhancing drug suspension. So Walker Little played left tackle, and they had Tyler Shatley in there at left guard. But the ideal lineup for the Jaguars, if they were healthy, and it was this way for a little bit, would be Walker Little at left guard and Robinson at left tackle. But that hasn't been the case because Robinson came back for a little bit, suffered an injury. He's currently on IR. So Little kicked back out to left tackle, but suffered an injury, a hamstring injury, which really prevented him from anchoring as well as you would want an offensive lineman to anchor, especially in a potential game against Miles Garrett. So Little was out for the Browns game. That moved Ezra Cleveland from left guard out to left tackle and Cleveland was a guy that they picked up 
near the trade deadline from Minnesota for some additional depth there, not thinking that they would have or have to play him at left tackle. That was his first career start at left tackle against Cleveland. A lot of those snaps came against Miles Garrett. He actually did all right, but he left that game with an injury, so that forced Blake Hans onto the field. It was a Blake Hans and Tyler Shatley left side of the offensive line. So the Jaguars are hoping that Walker Little can make it back to play that left tackle spot. We'll have to see how Cleveland is in terms of how this week goes along. I think that line could be okay if it's Little at left tackle and Cleveland at left guard. But when you get to Hanson Chatley, those guys just have been inconsistent on the left side. Uh, Hans, I'm looking at left tackle on PFF right now at just how awful he's been this year. Uh, a 9.8 pass blocking grade and 0.0 against the Browns uh, must have been difficult to watch against Garrett on that left side. It was bad. I mean, admittedly, he's probably at best a depth piece and a guy that's usually only supposed to play on the interior. But because of the injuries that I noted there, he had to at least – try and play left tackle and we were talking about it on the believe in jaguar show trevor lawrence tries to get the ball out very quickly and i think that's by design with press taylor the offensive coordinator and doug peterson the head coach of course having so much say in the offense because this o-line is not as healthy as it ideally could be but also just because some of these guys you know aren't playing at a high level they need to get some push in the run game that's going to be something that is going to be vital going against this Ravens defense okay well very the Ravens certainly uh gamble to allow the run at the uh benefit of stopping the pass so uh they've they've decided to play it that way this year and it'll be interesting Travis Etienne and maybe we talk about him next uh having a a, a pretty good year I would say decent. I mean, I think if a lot of people looked at his yards per carry average, they would say it's not so great of a season. But I think the one thing that ETN has proved is that he can shoulder a feature running back load. And if you remember, Ken, when he was coming out of Clemson University, some people wondered if indeed he could actually do that. He's done that for Jacksonville, but I don't think that that was the design for the Jaguars coming into the season because they drafted Tank Bigsby in the NFL draft and felt like he could be sort of the thunder to ETN's lightning, if you will, but he had some ball security issues early in the season. Obviously that's not good for earning trust from the coaching staff. I think that's why ETN Jr. has touched the ball so much. Yes, he's a dynamic playmaker, but I think he's actually better when you have him in the 10 to 15 touch range, not 20 plus. He has shouldered the load, but I just mentioned it there at the end of my last point. The offensive line has not done a great job of generating much push yeah. off the ball, working to second level, or even getting him decent-sized holes to run through. Etienne has created a lot of his own yards, yards after contact, making guys miss, fighting through defenders for those extra yards in the run game. But especially of late, the Jaguars' running game has not been great. You look at him last week, 14 carries for 35 yards against the Browns. And yes, that defensive front, especially the D-line, can be ferocious. But it's made the Jaguars one-dimensional, especially against the Browns and even to a degree against the Bengals. Earlier in the season, they would stick with the run game and you would see him break one off that would help out those averages, but also show that they were capable of getting a big gain or a decent gain, let's say, in the run game 
but that hasn't happened of late because partly this offensive line has been shuffled up front and just the lack of consistency from that O-line creating space for ETN in the run game. That that looks to me like the problem. I wouldn't be too worried about the 3.7 yards per carry. The, the number that sticks out to me on, on ETN's resume is the 50 missed tackles forced in 219 carries. That's a tremendous number. And, uh, you know, it, it'd be up there with the league leaders, probably, you know, fifth or sixth in the league or something in terms of the total number. But uh, but he's he's clearly had some great individual running in a very challenging environment in terms of the offensive line. Definitely. It's been unbelievable what he's been able to do. And that stat has been much talked about around Duval County, the amount of missed tackles he's been able to force. He's kind of been right there with Christian McCaffrey all season in that category and also yards after contact. So he has done about as much as he can. I think this offensive line needs to give him at least like a sliver of a hole here and there to have an opportunity to get back to some of these big games that he has had, but earlier in the season. All right. Very good. Take us through the wide receiver core, if you will, from uh, is Christian Kirk still hurt from the Monday night game or what's his situation right now? Kirk is still hurt. He is dealing with this core muscle injury. They're going to kind of see how things go. They're hoping maybe he can get back by the end of the regular season or playoffs. That's kind of up in the air. He's arguably the most reliable target for this offense. He's a security blanket for Trevor Lawrence. And you could see that they missed him in Cleveland. Lawrence just knows that Ridley is going to see the defense the same way as he is. And most of the time run the wrong right route. Excuse me. We're not all perfect and neither is Kirk. So it's, you know, very rare that he runs the wrong route based on what Lawrence is seeing from the defense. But Kirk is a guy that this offense is going to really miss because Calvin Ridley, and we talked about it earlier with the interception against Cleveland, just hasn't consistently gotten on the same page with Lawrence. And I think overall, you know, doesn't have the trust to the level that Kirk has. And that's just largely based on time together. So I think when you look at those two big guys or real keys for this offense, Kirk being out, Ridley needs to play better. I think he needs to have a big game this week. Zay Jones is a guy that I think when healthy can be a major factor in this offense. And Parker Washington is going to have to be a guy that steps up with Kirk out of the lineup. So the the Jags have several receivers who are quite good in terms of yards per target, but, but Kirk is really the guy. For me, yards per target, by the way, the most important um, receiving stat there is. He's at 9.9 yards per target and out. Um, that's a big loss. Ridley, uh, not as good, 742 and 94. I'll just do that really quickly here, is about 7.9 yards per target. Not terrible, certainly. But what what have you seen in his game maybe that's, that's – uh, um, unexpected. He's is he back? Is this his second year back from the layoff for the gambling thing? This is first year back. So first there was back. a lot of people talking about that. You know, he hasn't played football in a long time. The Jaguars maybe kind of went risky in terms of that trade and bringing him in. But you know, by all accounts, in the locker room, it does seem like his teammates like and respect him. But on the field with Lawrence, there have been some timely drops that have cost this team games at times you know you go back to the loss of the Chiefs in week two there were plays that Ridley could have made in that game he said some mental errors too and we talked about it with the interception against Cleveland but there have been other instances where he's run the wrong route or not been in the place that he was supposed to be or at least that Lawrence felt like he was supposed to be and there was a game earlier in the season where he was offside a couple times too so I think his focus needs to be 
much sharper. And his season really has left a lot of Jaguars fans wanting and talking about, okay, well, who are the upcoming pending free agents that we might be able to go after if we're not going to sign Ridley to, you know, big time free agent contract or bring in more of an impact maker? Because at the start of the season, Jags fans really felt like they were getting a true number one receiver, but really has not been that. He's shown flashes of it in week one, for example. Six catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown in the first half against Indy. So everybody thought he was going to blow the top off of all these NFL defenses, but then it just has not happened consistently. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because of Ridley. Doug Peterson and Press Taylor have done a pretty good job of scheming him up, getting him in some decent one-on-one coverage situations, but he just has had too many drops and mental errors this season. Okay. All right. Very good. How about the tight end core? Well, let's go through that and uh, talk about those players and we'll move on to other things. I mean, when you're talking about receiving game in the tight end core, it's Evan Engram and kind of just a bunch of guys. So Engram has been elite. He's among the league leaders in tight ends in terms of yards after the catch, his ability in the open field is unbelievable. You saw him against the Bengals with that leaping touchdown, look like an Olympic long jumper or something. They're diving in the end zone. He's been really, really good. He just reset his own franchise mark for receptions by a tight end in a single season. He had set it last year. This year, he's well over that. He might even get to Jimmy Smith's single season franchise record for receptions in a season. I believe that number is 116. You have to double check with wow. me on that. So he's at, 80, he's at 84 right now. He'll really have to put on the accelerator here to get there, but that'd be great. He would, but I mean, he had 11 catches a week ago, and with Christian Kirk out of the lineup, I think he's going to become more of a focal point in this offense because of the struggles of Ridley. So, yeah, it does seem like he's far away, but Engram has been a guy that I think has been underrated in this offense. And when you talk about the offense to start the season, you thought, okay, like we got a pretty good receiving group here. Calvin Ridley was thought of as a number one guy. Christian Kirk, I always felt like was underrated and Zay Jones, but now you kind of take those guys away in terms of Kirk being out and really not being as good as people would have thought. And Ingram down the stretch here, I think is going to be a real key for Jacksonville in the past game. They've used him in multiple different ways. They'll flex him out, try to get him in those one-on-one situations against especially smaller corners because he is so big and physical. I think he's a guy that can be a real matchup nightmare for the Jags down the stretch. One thing I'm seeing about about Engram is kind of a low A dot number for him. It's under five yards at 4.7. Uh, does that match the eye test of where he's been catching the football? Does he catch a lot of wide receiver screens or sorry, or tight end screens in this case, uh, but or other balls behind the line of scrimmage, short cross guy? Where, where does Lawrence like to find him? It definitely does match the eye test in terms of what they've done with him. They have had some tight end screens. There's been some crossers with him as well. Just ways to get the football in his hands because he is pretty good yards after catch. You might not think a lot of tight ends are like that, but Engram is among the elite. So they just want to get the football in his hands. And you saw it last week, 11 catches for 95 yards and two touchdowns in multiple ways to let him go and do his thing in the open field. And I think you'll see it more and more with Doug Peterson, who has a history of this with tight end talents like Engram, that he's going to be more involved in the offense and the number of targets that he's seeing. You mentioned, even though the low A dot, I think he's going to be used in multiple different ways. Okay. 
Fair enough. Uh, in terms of, of personnel groupings, do they ever work with a fullback or is it usually a, a tight end in the backfield when they want to put uh, two men back there? Do they play pony? What do they like to play in terms of specialized packages? It's pretty rare that you'll see a fullback in there. You've seen more wildcat than that kind of a package from the Jaguars of late. The touchdown last week that Travis Etienne Jr. had was with Tank Bigsby, faked the handoff to him, and then Bigsby actually led the way into the end zone for Etienne Jr. on that run. It was a great bit of athleticism for him to keep his legs up off the ground and get the ball into the end zone. You'll see a guy that Doug Peterson really likes to use in terms of blocking to help out ETN Jr., even though he hasn't got a lot of help, is Brenton Strange, tight end they're hoping to get back into the lineup this week. And, you know, when they were healthier along the offensive line, sometimes you would see an extra offensive lineman on the field. I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward because of the injuries that they're dealing with. So I think when you're looking for some of these different packages, you're going to see largely Travis Etienne in the backfield by himself with Trevor Lawrence. And if they're going to use some different packages, it's going to be with Brenton Strange or a couple tight ends on the field. Okay. Is it, is it, are they primarily an 11 team overwhelmingly so, or do they play a fair amount of 12 in total? You know, I think for the most part, like if we're talking about 11 versus 12, it's mostly 11 because Evan Ingram is on the field so much, but you're going to see 12 mixed in. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, the Ravens have a perceived need, I would have to call it now, at uh, a perceived weakness, I should say, at cornerback. Um, and in particular with Kyle Hamilton out, uh, likely, I would say, for this game. I think it's, it's unlikely that he'll play. Um, that means that the, the slot corner situation is very much in flux. It could move Marlon Humphrey there. Potentially, they could also go with Pepe Williams, who's returning from IRDTR. They could go with um, Arthur Mollette, who has been playing there. But how how would you perceive, how would you guess that the, the Jaguars might attack that? Oh, you know, my best guess, just based on some of the injuries in the receiving core, is that they're going to try to get Zay Jones some of those matchups in the slot. You look at where Ridley's been aligning most of the season, over 80% of the time, it's out wide. So it's going to be, I would think, Zay Jones a lot on the opposite side out wide, but I think he's been an intriguing guy when he's been in the slot. And the other guy that's going to see an increased target share is Parker Washington. The rookie receiver had his first career touchdown on Monday night football against the Bengals had another touchdown against the Browns. But, you know, I think Jones is a real piece here that can be used as the season goes along here and the Jaguars make this playoff push to try to get a home playoff game. That can be intriguing. I felt like the Jaguars offense was at their best partway through the season when Jones was heavily involved. He's an underrated guy in terms of his athleticism. And when he is seeing a consistent amount of targets and decent catchable targets, then I think this offense can be at its best. So I would expect Zay Jones and Parker Washington to be used to try to exploit what you're talking about with those issues at that nickel corner spot. So is is that where Christian Kirk would have been the primary slot receiver normally and obviously not available? Okay, fantastic. Let's flip it over to the defensive side. Um, the thing I always like to ask first is, what do the Jaguars do to change from an early down defense to a rundown, sorry, to a passing down defense in terms of uh, personnel changes, perhaps you know, switching out a weak side linebacker for a dime or whatever they may do? What, what, what kind of package changes do they make? 
Yeah, the main package change when you're talking about going to passing down situations is Trey Herndon comes on the field as a nickel corner, but he was out against Cleveland. And I think that was a real issue for them because they didn't have a guy that they trusted there. Now that said, Antonio Johnson made a splash play there on a blitz, got to Joe Flacco, popped the ball loose. The Jags were able to recover. And he's a guy as a rookie that they're pretty high on who can play some safety, who might be able to play a little bit of that nickel corner role, but they're really hoping Herndon can get back. He's a guy who I think is probably underrated as a nickel corner for this defense. They rely on him a lot in those situations and especially with the proliferation of passing in the NFL. So that's the real key to watch there. If Herndon is healthy back in the lineup for the Jags, he's the guy they really like at nickel corner. All right. Very good. Um, How about we talk about the defensive line first? Uh, uh, Take us across, not the outside linebackers yet, but the interior defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, you talk about these guys and they're, they're kind of underrated, right? Like everybody talks about Trayvon Walker and I would categorize him as a edge. I guess he's listed as an outside linebacker on their starting roster and Josh Allen. Those are the two main guys that they rely on for pass rush. You have Adam Gotsis in the middle who took a silly offside penalty on a punt last week that didn't earn him really any great marks in the film room, I'm sure. But the guys up front in this 30 front that they usually run are kind of under the radar because they just use them to eat up blockers and try to get Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker one-on-one matchups on the outside. So you aren't going to see those guys up front flash too much like a Roy Robertson Harris or a Gotsis, like I mentioned, but they're helping in the scheme to get these big time pass rushers, especially Allen free to the quarterback. So it looks like Robertson Harris in particular has had a very good pressure rate this year. Not necessarily been a finisher at all times, only a couple sacks, uh, but but a lot of hurries uh, this year. Yeah, and he has been a guy that I think is underrated too on this defense, but I just don't think he's been consistent. And you mentioned he's not been able to finish. So, so much of the focus goes to Allen. You know, I think Robertson Harris has been okay kind of when you watch him from the eye test, but they would like to get more out of those guys up front. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, we'll move over to the edge. Talk about those guys a little bit in terms of, of the kind of seasons they're having. Allen's having a career year in a contract year, which is what most players ideally want to do. He's a guy that... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers... Hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Jaguars are going to want to lock down and re-sign in the offseason. But right now, coming off the edge, he's been great all year long. 13 sacks on the season. He's, no, 13 and a half, excuse me. He's one and a half away from setting the Jags all-time single season franchise record. That's Clayus Campbell, who had 14 and a half. So one and a half more sacks gets out on the 15 and gets him that record. And he's been consistent for this team was held off the sack stat sheet at least against Cleveland, but he's made some impact plays. And then you have Walker on the other side. And a lot of people around Jacksonville has talked about, well, did the Jaguars make a mistake? Should they have drafted Aiden Hutchinson instead of Walker? I think Walker's underrated. He really affects the run game and can be disruptive there. Mike Tomlin a few weeks back raved about Walker as a guy who he felt like was underrated and was a real disruptor, especially in the run game. But his quarterback pressure number is very high. It's up over 30 on the season. So even though he doesn't have that double digit sack total yet, he's still been a guy that I think has been really consistent and quietly goes about his business for the Jags. So one thing I always like to see is an edge rusher who has a lot of coverage drops in a particular year because I think it adds a lot of pass rush flexibility. And I noticed Trayvon Walker has dropped the cover 70 times. Can you talk a little bit about what they try and run off that? Are they trying to often blitz an off-ball linebacker and drop him or blitz a safety or slot corner? Or, or do they set up the blitz with Trayvon Walker, Walker dropping to cover? Yeah, and I think that's a look that they try to use at times to confuse the opposing quarterback, right? And the offensive line, too. So at times we've seen Rayshon Jenkins come on the blitz. At times we've seen you know, Trey Hearn a little bit here and there. So they'll try to confuse the opposing quarterback as to who's actually rushing and maybe more importantly, the offensive line. So Walker has that ability. He is a good athlete. 
you know, you don't want to see him in coverage too often. Probably don't want to lock him up in man coverage. But if he's asked to pick up a back out of the backfield and at least give this defense a different look, he's a guy that's able to do that. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, in terms of the linebacking crew, um, we, we talked a little bit about Lukan on uh, your podcast, but, but take us through his development as a player uh, this year. He's been unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's trying to lead the NFL in tackles for a third straight year. Luakon is understized by a lot of people's standards, but this guy flies around. He gets the defense set. He's the heartbeat of this defense. He's the guy that coined the phrase in Duval County. It's not pretty. It's gritty in terms of how they go about winning football games. And he really is that guy. And I hate using it because it's a cliche, but he's literally all over the field. You'll watch number 23 is great at reading in the run schemes of opposing offenses. He's solid in terms of the pass game. He can get after you as a blitzer as well. He's a really dynamic linebacker, despite him being smaller than perhaps NFL teams would want out of an inside linebacker. Okay. Uh, Pretty good coverage grade. I see in terms of, Yards per target are not terrible. Uh, He's got an interception this year. How would you rate his coverage ability? Because that's something I think he'll be tested on against the Ravens in terms of some of the uh, concepts they run between level two and level three and some of the stuff in terms of, of how they use a running back. I think he's pretty good, but if we're talking a coverage linebacker, Devin Lloyd is much better, especially when you're watching this guy live or on film. Lloyd has been a guy that, you know, go back to the Chiefs game in week two, matched up against Travis Kelsey, held him to a low yardage total in that game. Kelsey, yes, did have a touchdown, but he was not ultra productive on that day. Lloyd is the guy that you need to look at in terms of who's the best cover linebacker on this team. Luakun can do it, but not to the level of Lloyd. So Lloyd is in his second year now and really seems to have matured uh, uh, as a player uh, with a with with kind of a big year this year. What's different about his game from his rookie year? I think the difference for him is just being comfortable with the speed and also who he's going to face on a week-to-week basis. I think he's gotten much more confident and it seems cliche. We talk about it so much for quarterbacks, but the game's slowed down for Lloyd overall. I think he's seeing things much better. I think he's reading keys much better, especially in this second year. And he's with Mike Caldwell, who is a guy that is a former linebacker and understands what it takes to develop these guys. So I think we've seen that from Lloyd. He can blitz and disrupt the quarterback at times. He's good in pass coverage. He's been much more solid in the run game overall. So he is developing into an all-around complete linebacker for the Jags. Here's one of the franchise-building questions I always ask of teams that have two outstanding in, um, linebackers, off-ball linebackers is do you really ever want to pay two of those? So Lloyd certainly as first round draft pick after this next year, after 2024, the, the Jaguars have to make a decision on picking up his fifth year option or not. And then, it, you know, potentially could become an expensive player. Aluakon uh, is already uh, doing pretty well. And, and I don't know how soon he's up for an extension, but maybe you could tell me about that in terms of when they, when they re- need to re-sign him. I think that you have the benefit there. Like you said, Lloyd's only in his second year, so you can kind of see how this situation plays out. Can Lukan keep up this production and then make a informed decision from there? Okay, fair enough. And he's got void years. It's actually after 24 
that Alua Khan would become a free agent if nothing were to change from now. But uh, uh, Ravens are in that same position. They ha- they've already paid Roquan Smith a ton of money. And a lot of Ravens fans want to keep Patrick Queen, but then there's a lot of other Ravens fans who say you can't really afford to pay two inside linebackers, particularly when your quarterback's on his second contract. So having drafted Trevor Lawrence and won the lottery in terms of getting a great quarterback um, at the top of a draft, the Jaguars will come to be in that position of having to watch every single dollar that uh, that goes out the door, particularly at what people consider to be non-premium positions like inside linebacker where you could, I think you can really only afford to have one guy you're paying. You're right. That situation could happen very soon for the Jaguars, considering Allen is in a contract year. He's going to command big time money to resign him, potentially keep him in Jacksonville. And there's already people talking about Lawrence having an extension. Now those could be years added on and you could sort of push some of that money into the future for Lawrence. But at some point he's going to get that big money extension that you're alluding to. And Ravens fans know all too well what that is like to deal with, with Jackson just getting his big deal. So Lawrence, it'll be his third year this year, and so they could extend him after the season, but they also have to have to pick up his fifth-year option um, if if they don't extend him immediately. And then he'll, he potentially would make pretty good money in that fifth year, good money in the fourth year, but then a ton of money in years six-plus. And what you're talking about is they could, if they signed him early, they could still leave that contract structure effectively in place and just tack on five years, say, at the end of that deal for – Another, let's call it $275 million might be the going rate by the time Lawrence signs. And that might be very cheap if the if the Jaguars are able to do it, do it now. Could be. And that's part of the discussion around Jacksonville right now as to what to do with Lawrence. I don't think they'll be able to do what Shohei Otani did and defer his salary to years <laughs> way, way down the line. But there is some talk about, you know, how to approach Lawrence in the coming years. Now, I know you're in the Toronto area, and of course, we're Orioles fans, too, that, 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 that listen to my pod. How bitter are you guys about not getting Otani to come to Toronto and, uh, and getting him to leave L.A. For, the, for roughly the same money, as they say? I try to stay, you know, unbalanced as a reporter and what I do professionally. But I will say that, you know, around the city, a lot of people were disappointed. And there's talk that Blue Jays fans should boo Otani when he comes to the renovated Rogers Center, because a lot of people feel like now with the reports that are coming out that Otani just used the Jays for leverage because in that's rightfully so. I mean, do your thing. And I think you're right. It's probably what they were used for, but you know, in reality from a geographical perspective with where he's from over in Asia, like what's he really going to come to Toronto and be that much farther away. And, you know, Toronto is great in the summer, no doubt. And, Baseball's obviously played in the summer and it's called the boys of summer and there's a dome here and it probably would have been great for him, especially as a hitter. But I just didn't ever think it made sense for him to leave the West Coast. The Dodgers are perennially in the playoffs, I think since 2012 is the run that they're on. So I think there's a lot of Jays fans here that are upset that they were used for leverage, but it was very exciting. And there was that day before Otani announced his decision on Saturday, on the Friday, when everybody thought that Otani was on a flight coming to Toronto. Wrongfully, it was Robert Herjavec, a billionaire Canadian who's been on Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and you know, has done obviously very well for himself. So there was a lot of jokes made, but I think a lot of people around Toronto do feel hurt that he didn't come here and that they were used for leverage. 
I'll say as an Oriole fan, I'm, I'm damn happy that he's not in the division. That would have it really sucked. It would have been worse for him to go to the Yankees, but it would have been would have been really bad for him to go to Toronto from from our perspective. The the Orioles still can't get it figured out in terms of ponying up the money to sign their young superstars right now, and uh, you know they have a chance to, to have a very long run with this core and and a lot of young guys coming up. It's just be ashamed if they didn't uh, pick it up. And you guys, as Jays fans, you understand. Um, how that window can start to close pretty damn quickly. And and it probably is with Bichette and Vlad and some of those guys in terms of, of how long they're going to still be with the Jays. So we'll uh, we'll see how that works out. Definitely. All right, let's move back to secondary we need to talk about for the, for the Jags in this game. So you look at the guys in the back end here. Andre Sisko at safety really started the season strong, but he had an injury against the Browns. So that's something to monitor whether or not Sisko is in the game. And I really thought he was trending upwards early in the season, but he's kind of leveled out. Rayshon Jenkins, I think, has been, you know, kind of solid all season long. There's been some plays that he would probably want back, but he's also made some nice plays. Overall, you look at the cornerback spot, and Darius Williams has been an absolute bright spot. In this secondary, a guy that came over from the Los Angeles Rams, maybe a lot of people didn't think that he could step into a role that he's grown into in Jacksonville. He's become, I think right now, at least their number one corner, a guy that's tracked and trailed and covered a bunch of these number one receivers from other teams and had a really good season overall. And I think part of that is due to Tyson Campbell being injured. He's dealing with this nagging lower body injury. It's a hamstring issue for him. And some people felt like Campbell had the upside to be a potential top five cover corner in this league, but he simply hasn't been on the field. And when he's been out of the lineup, Monteric Buster Brown has been in there. He's played pretty good. I think above what anybody ever would have thought out of this guy filling in for Campbell. So they're obviously at their best when Campbell's in the lineup. He missed the Cleveland game. We'll see if he's back this week for the Baltimore game. It's a younger secondary and one that I think has a lot of upside. I mentioned Antonio Johnson earlier. He's a guy that had to work back from injury to get back into the lineup. And he's a guy that they really like with some intriguing upside. So I think this secondary needs to play much better. They were trending towards having this kind of high upside early and mid season, but they need to get back to playing much better, be assignment sound and stop some of these coverage busts that have happened the last couple of weeks against the Bengals and Browns. All right. So Darius Williams um, was a, and I think this is the same guy we're talking about was a yeah Ravens uh, undrafted free agent out of college. They really loved him. He came to the Ravens in 2018, played very well in the preseason. I really thought that, um, he would stick around. He did. He did play briefly for the Ravens in 2018, but then he was waived in October of that year. And of course, the rest is history in terms of his success with the Rams and now the contract with the Jaguars. Um, frustrating as hell. The Ravens have lost this guy, but it's happened with more than just a few. They lost uh, uh, Harrison as well to the Steelers. They actually cut him three different times uh, <laughs> before the Steelers got him and. Uh, and uh, you know, basically beat us over the head with his play for for uh, almost a decade. It seemed like. Uh, so anyway, I, 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 Darius Williams, uh, you know, a guy who I think a lot of Ravens fans uh, will remember fondly, and uh, probably still could play play nickel for this team. I'm sure if uh, if he were here. Uh, I'll turn the question around with the same thing I made it on your show, and apologize for doing that to you, buddy. But um, is there a player you think on each side of the ball, which? who matches up very well against the Ravens. 
You know, I actually like this way of doing it, so I might steal it from you in the future. But, you know, not maybe so much of a matchup thing here, but I just think Calvin Ridley has to have a big game for the Jags to have a chance. And I do think when he's locked in, you know, especially with you talked about a Kyle Hamilton potentially being out for this game in the way that they might have to shuffle the secondary around. I think that's a guy that needs to have a big game and needs to be a matchup issue for the Ravens in this game with Christian Kirk out of the lineup with Parker Washington, you know, not as being as good in his second game where he saw a lot of action in Cleveland as he was in the first game where he saw a bunch of targets, six catches for 61 yards in that Monday night football game against the Bengals. So I think Ridley really needs to step up here. And I think on the other side, a guy that's going to be key is, Devin Lloyd, and I think for a couple of perspectives, because Isaiah Likely seemingly has kind of taken this opportunity with Mark Andrews being on IR and run with it, had a big touchdown last week in the Ravens' win. I think Lloyd is going to have to do a yeoman's job covering Likely, but also if Jackson is used in the running game, as you've alluded to, especially between the tackles, I think Lloyd is a guy that's going to have to have a big game overall, stopping the run, stopping Jackson, and stopping likely in the middle of the field. All right. Outstanding stuff, Justin. Very thorough and and uh, good. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. For sure, man. You can get at me at jdunk12 on Twitter. And obviously, we have the Believe in Jaguars podcast. You can find it on all your major podcast providers. And then also, I cover a lot of Canadian football, the CFL, Canadian University football. That's where I played at the University of Guelph. Actually, the same alma mater as Tavius Robinson, the Ravens' current defensive lineman. Maybe we can talk about him more in a minute. But you can check out all of that Canadian football goodness, we'll call it, at 3downnation.com. For the uninitiated, is the most trafficked football website in the country. Now, Canada is much smaller than the U.S. We're just under 40 million population up here. That's about the same population as California. But it is... And has become, and I'm a little biased, the go-to source for information in Canada for football. Well, very cool. And Baltimore, of course, loved uh, having a CFL team and winning the Great Cup. They lost the Great Cup in their first run to it, and they they won it in their second in the in the '90s when Baltimore didn't otherwise have football. Uh, and it was it was kind of a slap in the face to the, to the CFL that as soon as they had a chance to get the Browns to move to Baltimore, they basically, you know, the, the CFL was out of business in, in Baltimore, which is a, a little bit of a shame. But the game was interesting. You know, playing three-down football is is very different from from playing four-down football. Uh, the time of year was nice in terms of, of going to games in, in the late summer and whatnot and and uh, and doing that. But uh, but a different game and lining up a, a yard off the, off the ball is something you have to get used to. Something I want to ask you about, does the Canadian Football League still have the rules where you have to have 20 Canadian players on each roster? Yep, they have the Canadian starting ratio. So you have to have seven national starters, they call them now, Canadian, same thing. And you have to have, I believe it's up now to 21 nationals on your game day roster. So they still have that in there. Wow. Okay, so when when Baltimore played in the league, that rule did not apply to them. 
which is ridiculous because it's an unbelievable advantage. It means, you know, if you, if you get an, if you get your left guard injured, you go to get the best guard that's available from Penn State or Iowa or whoever who's not playing in the NFL currently. And, and you know, they, they have to go to Edmonton Junior College or wherever it might be to, to get a, uh, a, a similar player. It's just you're, you're not getting the same quality uh, to do. And that's why the, the, uh, the Baltimore team was able to be so successful, obviously, in the time they had. I, I wouldn't be doing the, the proper thing if I didn't ask for my friend Brent Urban, who's coming up on his 10th year of the NFL. And I asked him on our show, would you ever consider going back to the CFL and playing a year at one time, his rights were owned by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But how dominant would he be in the CFL today? You know, it, you know, being still a, a reasonably good defensive lineman now in the United States, um, how dominant would he be in uh, in uh, in the CFL? First of all, it wouldn't make financial sense for him to come up and play sure. here in the CFL. Like the highest paid defensive lineman in the CFL last year was around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Urban's made obviously millions of dollars in the NFL, but in terms of how dominant he would be, you know, I would refer you to one Chad Johnson, who's talked about his foray up into the CFL. He felt like he was going to absolutely dominate the league. That did not happen. And he still talks about to this day, you can find clips of him online, whatever podcast or media he's doing talking about how good the caliber of play is. So if Urban came back up here, he would probably need to lean out and change his body a little bit because of the faster play clock. There's only 20 seconds here to get a playoff mm-hmm. and just how quick the game is. That you got to be ready not only down in and down out every 20 seconds, but run sideline to sideline. The field is that much wider, wider up here. Right. Yeah, way wider than the American field. You kind of extend way out past the numbers. I think it's 65 yards wide. Memory serves me right. So I think Urban could have the chance to be dominant, but it's a different kind of a game that's played up here. The Tiger Cats would love to have him. He would be a national ratio breaker. They would term him. I think he could be really good, but he would have to change his style. And we've seen that with a number of the American players that have come up here. They'll talk about that. They have to adapt very quickly to how this game is played. And they especially need to know how to deal with the Rouge, that single point up here. Because it has cost teams games. You know how it is with the old Baltimore Stallions. Yeah, both. But you occasionally you'll see it though at the end of a CFL game, a really weird situation where you have dueling punts back and forth to each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can right. I ask you one question, Ken, before we sure. go? Because Absolutely. I'm curious to know about Tavius Robinson. You've watched his team so closely. You know all the numbers. I know we got his first career sack. I think it was a few games ago. How has he been in terms of his development in his rookie season? Okay, well, first of all, I'd say Tavius is in a really good place. Um, The Ravens are using him primarily as a base defense uh, guy now. So at the start of the season, they they didn't have they had some injured um, outside linebackers, and he was getting a lot more snaps. He's been reduced now in terms of snaps. He plays largely on first down opposite uh, Malik Harrison, who are two outside linebackers who are good run defenders, and and they also give a good amount of rust to the to rest, I should say to the three Ravens primary pass rushers who are Clowney, uh, Owe, and Van Noy. So they need to keep those guys rushed for, uh, rested for important uh, situations. Having played 30%, now it's, I'm looking at my own spreadsheets, 30% exactly at this point of the defensive snaps this year is a great place 
for a rookie defender in the Ravens system. Very, it's it's not usual at all that a, that a rookie, particularly a fifth round rookie, is going to play thirty percent of the snaps. I think he's actually the fourth round, but uh, but he's a a player I think has a, a bright future with Ravens. It would not surprise me if he took a big jump this uh, next year, and I think he's played pretty well, particularly in run defense this year. I think he's a guy that has a lot of upside. And I'll give you a quick background story on him. He played at a Guelph. rival high school of mine in Guelph. He's the first player from Guelph ever to go to the NFL, by the way. So I played at John F. Ross CVI in Guelph. He played at GCVI, Guelph Collegiate Vocational Institute in Guelph. And he was younger than me, like way younger. So mm-hmm. I can't remember the year I finished high school. It was that long ago. I think it was 2004, but he was well after this. But I remember him coming through the ranks because I follow Canadians so well, and obviously he's in my hometown. And he was a guy that ended up going to the University of Guelph because he was so humble, too humble about his potential upside that he didn't think that he could play NCAA football at a high level. So he's a conference all-star at the University of Guelph. COVID comes along. The Canadian University season gets canceled. He's looking for a place to play. Lane Kiffin down at Old Miss offers him a scholarship. He goes down there, gets into that kind of atmosphere, and he knew he would thrive in it. And I think that really opened up his confidence and especially his thinking to say to himself, hey, I'm a guy that has the talent good enough to go to the NFL. So, you know, I've heard some people talk about him being raw. That's absolutely the case. I think there's still further development to go here, as you noted with the way that the Ravens are using him. But he's a guy, when you look at his length and athleticism and speed and physicality and just his body type, like he's getting towards looking like maybe a mini version of the Hulk here. Like he is a guy that has put on so much weight, worked very hard and is so humble. I still keep in touch with him to this day about his process. He has not gotten big headed from being in the NFL now, you know, for over half a season. He's a really great person, a great dude, and has some intriguing football upside. So it's great that you can give me the breakdown of where he's at because I haven't watched a lot of Ravens football this year. And I'm curious to see how well he does with that team in the future. Yeah, he, he he should be pretty good. He does. He's an older rookie, so he'll be 25 on January 3rd. I think that would be the biggest concern about where he is developmentally. That's really a second contract problem for him more than it is for the Ravens, who will harvest you know prime value from Tavius over these next three seasons. So, uh, looking forward to it. And, and he's been one of the guys that that I have on a, on a on a hopeful list of developmental players for the Ravens, and they need to find some more who are you know, high value first contract contributors. I like it. All right. Fantastic, Justin. Great having you on. Uh, Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you and I want to talk about whatever you're passionate about regarding the Baltimore Ravens, a new statistic, whatever it is you might might, uh, want to talk about. If you contact me, I promise you, I will get back to you very quickly to talk through your kernel of an idea for a show. Justin, thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Ben. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Sports. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.